And welcome into the Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. I know it's been a while, and I apologize for that, but there's a very good reason for that. It's been in my first year with The Athletic, which I've really enjoyed, by the way. I really wanted to dedicate myself to this new gig and finding a rhythm, and so I kind of put this on hold. I pushed this aside so I could really focus on the new gig, which I hope you've been following along at at theathletic.com or on our app, which is fabulous. Now we can turn our attention to the NBA postseason, but before we do that, I want to discuss the regular season and how the team qualified for the postseason for the fourth straight year. They've done it all three years under head coach Nate McMillan. Now it's about advancing past that first round, though, because it's something they really have not done since the 2013-14 season back when Paul George was still here. The court returned, led by Victor Oladipo, but then they lost him for the season on January 23rd, and what a tough night that was for everyone involved. I remember being in the locker room that night, going around, trying to get players' reactions, trying to see what it meant to the season for them, and going back, I was pleasantly surprised by their responses. Certainly they were upset, but not defeated. Oladipo's been away from the team ever since. He's down in Miami, and that's specifically done because his doctor's down there. He had surgery on the campus of the University of Miami. And, of course, Miami's where he spends his off-seasons. But then the team remained in third for much of the season until that brutal March schedule that we all remember, during which they lost 10 straight road games before finally winning their final two on the road to clean that up a little bit. And that schedule... That took a toll on this group. It really did. But now, this week, they've had two days off, a couple light practices, and they benefit from not having to play until Sunday. Games get underway Saturday. They don't play till Sunday afternoon. Pacers head coach Nate McMillan deserving heavy consideration for the Coach of the Year award, in my opinion, for what he did with this group without their all-star for much of the season, having to adapt with guys being in and out of the lineup. And yet they still won 48 games, the same total as last year, despite Oladipo missing significant time. Domanis Sabonis will likely be the runner-up for the Sixth Man of the Year award behind the Clippers' Lou Williams, who the award should be named after, I think, at this point. And Miles Turner, who led the league in blocks, a good season for him. He was under consideration for Defensive Player of the Year voting. Those ballots were due Friday at 11.59 p.m. I submitted mine, but again, we won't know the... Full results of this until late June when the NBA hosts its annual awards show. I enjoy the show, however, I really wish they would go back to how they presented the awards, staggering them out throughout the postseason. I think it's really cool, number one, for those individuals to get recognition while it's still relevant, but also to get that recognition typically if they're on a playoff team, it would come in front of their home crowd. But Turner really did have a good season. He's barely 23 years old, and yet he's the anchor the safety net of that Pacers defense. That's something I just wrote about this week. And part of that Pacers defense, they're the top scoring defense in the league and finished third in defensive rating. And now their next challenge is against the uber-talented Boston Celtics, who really had a rocky and underwhelming season, probably the second most underwhelming season behind the Los Angeles Lakers. But this group, they were the preseason favorites in the East, only to finish fourth with one more win, 49 wins ahead of the Pacers, but there's so much to this team, so much talent, that Gordon Hayward of Brownsburg, Indiana, who finally, we think, looks back to his normal self more than a year and a half after that serious injury that he suffered in Cleveland, he's playing off the bench. The Pacers, meanwhile, they're in reasonable shape health-wise. 
Darren Collison's battling a groin injury. Tyreek Evans, he continues to be bothered by that right knee, and he did have an ounce drained out of it at the end of March. This week, he told me he considered getting another PRP, platelet-rich plasma injection. It would have been his third this season, but he feels better, and he feels good enough that he chose not to get one. Wesley Matthews, he's been bothered by a hamstring strain, and boy, do they need him in this series. Both from a defensive standpoint, it's very likely that he'll have to check Kyrie Irving late in games, but also they need some production from him offensively. Hadn't been great offensively over the last month. They need for him to produce in addition to playing hard, being scrappy, and just being a feisty player out there like we have come to know he is. He's a veteran. These are playoff moments. This is the type of game, a type of series. This is in part why he came to the Pacers, a midseason pickup, and ever since he's been the starting lineup replacing Oladipo. As for the Celtics, their biggest concern is Marcus Smart, the first-team all-defensive player type. He suffered an injury, get this, in a meaningless game. That's got to eat at him and the team, but he would have drawn the assignment of Boyan Bogdanovich, but he's ruled out and isn't expected to return to basketball activities for four to six weeks, so that's well past the first, maybe past that second series before he even returns to the court. Now, that's a brief summary of how we got to this point. Game one for this first-round series, much-anticipated series that will be covered on national TV. The game was one and two on ABC, games three and four on TNT. Reggie, he'll be on the call of games one and two on TNT, and Fox Sports Indiana here locally will cover games one through three. Game one on Sunday, then Pacers benefit from not having to play again until Wednesday, so they can get additional rest. And I will be up in Boston, have complete coverage for you, along with Bob Kravitz on The Athletic, theathletic.com. And if you haven't subscribed or downloaded the app, you're really missing out. A lot of great content there. And remember, one subscription gets you coverage to everything. Pacers, if you're a hockey fan, baseball fan, you want national coverage, local coverage, we're the only outlet with at least one beat reporter covering every team of all four major sports. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Pacers podcast on your favorite podcast application. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Google Play. Speaking of Kravy, he joined me at the Pacers practice facility Friday afternoon. After practice, we sat down for a preview of this series. Here's that conversation. All right, now I'm welcoming in Bob Kravitz to look ahead to this Pacers-Celtics round one series. And, and Bob, first of all, the Pacers get a blessing here with a couple days to prepare, a couple days between games one and games two. Relatively healthy entering the playoffs. What are your thoughts generally just as they get set for game one coming up on Sunday? Is Victor Oladipo coming back? That's what I want to know. He is not. Okay, well... You know, that's fine, and, and it, it will help them, certainly, uh, getting a little bit of time off. and Because I, I really felt, and I wrote this last this past week, I really felt like they ran out of gas at the end of the season. I think they've been a great story all season. They've been very noble in the way they've sort of pushed through uh, life after the Victor injury. But um, – I just feel like they've given almost everything they have, and whether they can find a second wind uh, in time to steal a game in Boston, I think is really the outstanding question. Yeah, it's dead on, and that's why I think this rest has been important. You've seen it. Yeah, you, yeah. They've I, been able to have two off days this week, which is almost mm-hmm. a rarity at this time of the year. Right, and they're going to have a couple of days off uh, in between 
uh, games. In fact, you will be taking up permanent residency in Boston. We'll miss uh, you there, though. But uh, you'll still re- be writing. Well, please give the people of Boston my very, very best. We uh, have a long and healthy relationship going back to the Deflate Gate days. <laughs> but besides that, because it's not about me after all, um, yeah, I think the rest will help. But you know, Boston. Uh, they're getting a chance to to rest. You know, they didn't have to play it out, um, and they're going to be able to have time to adjust uh, to some degree to life without uh, Marcus Smart, uh, who I almost called Keith Smart. Uh, but Marcus Smart, to me, while he's not a guy who's going to change this series uh, by his absence, um, I do think is a very very effective player, and he's kind of their glue guy and. Um, they're going to miss him. They're going to miss him. I don't think it's going to change the ultimate outcome, but they're going to miss him. Yeah, I, I think you can't underplay it. I think he's a significant loss for them, and he's not even sure when he might be back at this point. He's the guy that's always trailing and guarding Boyan, and Boyan's got to be the number one offensive weapon in this series. So to remove that defensive factor, I think is significant. Well, you wonder, and I'll ask you this question because I don't know the answer. Who covers Boyan Bogdanovich? Would it be Tatum? Would it be... Who would it be? I, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, the most likely outcome is that Tatum will slide over. He'll start. I think they'll want to continue to bring Gordon Hayward off the bench in that role. Yes. And usually try to hide Kyrie on the worst offensive player. Right. And right. That, that's how they get away with his defensive play. I tend to think that the two two really important guys in this series are going to be two, the two, uh, two guys coming off the bench. Tyreek Evans for the Pacers who has a chance to redeem himself after a really bad year. Um, and then on the other side, Gordon Hayward, who is starting to come out of his, I don't want to say funk because he had the terrible uh, leg injury, and it takes, as we saw with Paul George, it takes a while to come back. But, you know, he was 9 for 9, uh, you know, l- what, last week. And purposely didn't shoot over the final, like, seven minutes so he wouldn't break it. So he that. wouldn't break it, yeah. So <laughs> He knew well, what he was doing. I think if Gordon Hayward can continue to play the way he's playing, that gives Boston a big advantage. And I think if Tyreek, I keep looking at Tyreek and waiting for that that light to go on, and it hasn't all year. So there's probably no reason to think that it will, but I still think he's got the raw physical ability to be a game changer in this series. Look, he was brought in for this very moment to be that secondary playmaker next to Victor. Victor's gone. They brought in Matthews, and right. the lights go out. The lights go out. Well, as this we is recording this, this podcast. This is kind of romantic. Oh, the <laughs> hey, lights are back, back on. on. Oh, thank God. The joys of live podcast. Yeah. Today. To me, Tyreek seems like maybe he could have a moment like DJ Augustine. I remember right against New, against the Knicks at, in New York. Went off, I want to say, for twenty some points and almost won that, and really won that game for them. What if he does that in say Game Four? Maybe it makes it all worth it. Yeah, uh, or maybe they'll just be down three to one at that point. So, I, I we'll, we'll talk about predictions and stuff, but I I honestly have a hard time making the case for the Pacers to take this beyond six games. Uh, I am certainly not picking them to win this series. I think that if Victor had stayed healthy, uh, they would have had not only a chance to win this series, but I think it would have changed the way Kevin Pritchard approached the trade deadline, Mm -hmm. and I think they would have had a chance to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, Right now, I'm I'm sitting there and I'm thinking it's it's Celtics in five or six. I hate predictions, but... 
I was asked. No, them, I'm sorry. I just, you know. No, as a columnist, <laughs> you expect it. As right. a beat writer, I'd rather stay away from them, but we've been asked to put it out there. So I right. have saying Celtics in six. I think yeah. the Pacers, nothing will come easy in this series. The, the problem- this Pacers team is just so physical and. They're going to get down by 10, 15, but they're going to rally back. It's just do they have enough to, in the final two minutes, one team has Kyrie and the other team doesn't. That's if we're keeping it simple, line. I think that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line is, uh, you know, the Pacers don't really have anybody who can get their own at the end of a game. Um, you know, they, they're they a democratic team. They share the basketball and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, they don't have – they can't say, okay, Victor, you bring the ball up the floor, you back up a few feet, mm-hmm. you get a running head start, you make a play, whether it's getting your own shot or setting up bogey in the corner or what have you. And that is the elemental difference between the, the Indiana Pacers and the Boston Celtics is they've got Kyrie, and as you say, the Pacers do not. When I think about this series, I, it's one of those we kind of expected now for several weeks. How important do you think home court advantage is? The Pacers not getting it ultimately down the stretch, Celtics having it in addition to more firepower. You know, I, I think the firepower is the big issue. I don't think, you know, look, the Pacers really struggled on the road at the end of the year. Uh, of course, they were able to go into Detroit and win there, but I think they'd lost, what, 10 They lost in 10 in a row. They won their final two. Right. And Boston, is, it's, it's a snake pit, man. It's a hard place to play. But, you know, I remember, I can remember a Jim O'Brien team the year of, I think it was the brawl, um, where they went in for a game seven and beat the Celtics. And the way the fans are there, when you're playing well, they're the greatest fans <laughs> in the world. Yeah. And when you're stinking up the joint, they can really get on your backside. And, you know, I wonder if the Celtics struggle or if the Pacers make them really work for everything, and I suspect they will, they're going to turn on them really fast because this team is underachieved all year. And, again, I think that's another question that I'm sure all the Boston guys are asking uh, back east is, can you flip the switch? It's something that LeBron and the Cavaliers always did. Certainly Kyrie did it when he was in Cleveland can this team play to – because the ceiling for them is very, very high. For the Pacers, to quote the great philosopher Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof. <laughs> How about this too, though? Probably mainly because of the Celtics, but all games are on big-time national TV. TNT gets the first couple. Reggie Miller will be the analyst for those. And then moving to ABC for games three and four. N- little nugget I laugh at is Pacers have really struggled when playing on national well, TV. because they're playing good teams. They, c- they're, correct. They're, they're yep. not playing the Memphis Grizzlies on ABC right. on a Sunday But I think afternoon. they've lost their last six on national yeah. TV for well, whatever you know, that's worth. They, you know, their fans, and to some degree the players say we don't get enough enough love nationally, and I understand that completely. I mean, the Pacers are one of the most anonymous teams in the league. Uh, they play in flyover country, and, you know, while they're, you know, the beginning and the end for us, outside of here, they're just not a big deal. So this is a real opportunity for them to not only pull off the upset, but to really make people stand up and take notice of what they're building here in Indiana, even without Victor right now. For perspective, wouldn't it be like asking a Pacer fan maybe about the Orlando Magic? Right. Like how much are you following that team? They have an all-star, actually. Right, Vucevic. But who's right? really following? Well, I, I thought that was a quiz. <laughs> no, but I, <laughs> I you passed. Yeah, all right. Did I pass? You okay. did. All right, but I ahead. thought that was a good example. They have one all-star, right? but usually just go anonymously yeah, about their business. Yeah, there are just some teams, you know, in the Pacers – 
you know, it's amazing to me how good the Pacers have, how consistently good they have been over the years. I don't know what the latest number is, like 23 times in the playoffs out of 29 24 years. out of 30 now. 24 out of 30. That's pretty darn good. For a team that's a small market, they can't just go out and bring in the, the, you know, the superstar player in free agency. For a team that refuses to tank, has always refused to tank, and yet has been able to rebuild with the 10th pick, the 11th pick, the 14th pick. And it, it's a really a testament uh, to the front office that they've had here over the years. And to that end, they've always been good. They've always been consistent. They've just never been great. And they've that's, never been great. So that's the argument against it. They're the second most consistent team in terms of winning in the last couple of decades behind San Antonio, but they haven't cashed in in a NBA Finals trip since 2000. No, but you know they, they have reached the uh, Eastern Conference Finals uh, a number of years, certainly. You know, it, the shame of it is you finally get rid of LeBron out of the Eastern Conference, and then Victor goes down. Right. And, and, I mean, you just cannot overstate how devastating that was. Because, again, I think that this team not only – would they have been uh, in the fight for the Eastern Conference Finals? But I know that Kevin Pritchard would have approached the trade deadline in a completely different way. Yeah, of course. You'd probably make a significant trade, whether it's a Mike Conley sounds appealing, for example. But that $32 million for the next couple of years, I don't, they, their books I don't think could have handled that. No, probably not. But again, to do what they're doing, you know, with, you know, and I'm not giving Herb Simon a hard time, but you know, he's not going to go into the luxury tax. That is understood. Um, if, if he does, great, but he hasn't in the past. And so they've always had one hand tied behind their back a little bit financially. They're not going way over the tax like other teams do. So it, it's been remarkable what they've been able to accomplish. It's just it's just a shame that Victor's going to be watching this game mm-hmm. from his couch in Miami. That luxury tax point is notable, but I think even more – prevalent is the ability to go get a high-level player. Right. There's no need to go into the tax if you're not getting players that are worthwhile, right? Right, right. I mean, David West was an anomaly. And, you know, David West, keep in mind, was coming off major knee surgery. And David West, as we both got to know him during his time here in Indianapolis, is a different guy. He's not a guy who cares about the nightlife. He's not a guy who cares about Bright Lights Big City. You know, he's very much a stay-at-home family guy. So Indianapolis fit for him uh, on a number of levels. But, you know, if you're a young superstar, is Indianapolis where you want to go? And right now, uh, probably not. Yeah, and outside of him, I'm trying to think of a recent notable name that's come here. J.J. Redick was so, so close. So close. And they could have really used a player like him, especially on a one- or two-year deal. Yeah. But outside of that, I mean, I think back. Al Jefferson, Monte Ellis, Tyreek. Yeah, none of them are inspiring. Notable. No, no I thought Tyreek on paper coming in, uh, being See, a nineteen I, I five that. and five guy last year. Memphis, you I never thought liked he'd be, you never liked him. Never liked. I nothing against him. Yeah. As the lights go out again, I never thought there was a fit, and I think that's proven to be true. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and you're he's entering the playoffs for the second time of his career. So by all accounts, this stage is still relatively new to him. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'll be curious about a couple things. Uh, First, I'm curious about Darren Collison's health mm-hmm. and whether he will be as aggressive in hunting his shot as he was late in the season after Victor went down. I, I thought last year at times against Cleveland, he got um, he just didn't go after his shot, you know, and he's got to be 
he's got to be a weapon offensively. And then uh, Miles Turner. You know, uh, I like his matchup against Aaron Baines in some respects. But, you know, Aaron is going to, you know, he's going to pound him. I mean, Aaron is, you know, uh, a mountain of a man. And he's going to be really physical with Miles. But I think if Miles can get him out on the floor and shoot the ball well, I think he's going to, He's going to pose a big problem for Aaron Baines. That's a worthwhile conversation in Sonora. Miles Turner. First of all, let's go back. The season that he had, I think it was a really good year for him. I oh, mean, absolutely. He, he almost matched his career high. One tick under 7.3, a career high in rebounds. Right. Um, he did have a career high in blocks, had more than the Cleveland Cavaliers combined. He battled a couple things, broken nose, sore shoulder. I think he had a really good year. I think so, too. I, I think, look, if, if he's going to be your alpha going into the playoffs, you have no chance. You know, I, I, I just – but I think he can be a really good secondary score or even a third score. You know, I think for them to have a chance, they need Collison to be terrific. They need Bogey to yep. – I had uh, one, one assistant coach – walked by me um, the other day after the Nets game and said, man, Bogey is a wet noodle at this point. He was just, there's nothing left in the tank. And so you hope that a guy like Bogey has used this time wisely to get himself right. But they need Bogey to be great. They all need to play outstanding basketball. Corey Joseph has got to re uh, he's got to find a shot. He's just got to rediscover. He's another one that's been dragging, and it turned out they didn't give him the day off for the regular season finale. So he's the only guy that ended up playing all 82, and I thought he was one that over the last month what we had seen, he needed the time off. He, yeah, I, probably so. That, that was a little odd to me as well. But, you know, that may have been one where he said, look, you know, I, I think I'm starting to feel something, and, uh, you know, I need the time on the floor to get my shot right. And But he's got to be outstanding. You know, look, the Boston Celtics are one of the weirdest teams in the league. They've underachieved more than just about anybody outside of maybe the Lakers. And and, uh, you don't know what you're going to get from the Boston Celtics from game to game. With the Pacers, you've got a pretty good idea of what you're going to get. They're going to play hard. They're going to play connected. So I just think it's Boston's series to lose. You know, like I say, you know what the Pacers are going to bring with the Celtics. If they can play at a high level, they're going to smoke them. If the Celtics are up and down, up and down the way they've been all season, this has a chance to go six games. This has been a new challenge for Brad Stevens. And the biggest thing about it is managing big-time players and managing those egos. It's, look, it's nothing he dealt with in, in Butler. Horizon right. League, then they move on, he moves on. Then he's working, I think at one year, he had something like 27 different players on his roster. Now they bring in these talents, several current and former All-Stars. Has that been the biggest challenge you've seen for him this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not there every day, but, you know, I'll never forget Isaiah Thomas uh, telling me the hardest thing to do in coaching is to coach a great player or a really good player. And, you know, you, you can get through to guys who are just average, but getting guys who are great, are it's sometimes difficult to get through to them and get them playing in a collective way. And right now, I think Jalen Brown and Tatum are both kind of getting used to their new roles. Um, you know, they, they've had some changes at the center position. Horford has been dealing with some injuries on and off. Um, Kyrie is just weirded out a number of times this year where sometimes he wants to be the alpha, the superstar, 
you know, Uncle Drew the whole thing, and then he didn't want a camera in his face. So he's got, I think, a lot of, I'll guarantee you, a lot of what's being written in Boston today and, and tomorrow will be whether Kyrie is ready to lead, and I don't know the answer to that just yet. Nate, as you will be writing about here coming up, a different situation for him, trying to still prove himself despite being a coach in this league for some 20 years. Right, and he's got you know over 600 wins, right? And he's, uh, like you say, he's uh, you know been in the play. I, I, I have to double-check this, but I believe he's 1-7 in, in playoff um, in playoff series, uh, I will double check that, but uh, it's not good. It's well under uh, under five hundred, as he said. Most of those teams were the lower seed. Most of those teams um, had injury issues coming into the playoffs. So it's not. The, I asked him today: um, Is there one series that you've been involved in that you lost where you felt like you should have won? And he answered, as I suspected he would. He said, "Yep, last year." They felt they should have won that series last year. And if they had gotten that goaltending call correct on Victor Oladipo uh, getting blocked uh, by LeBron James, they may or may very well have gotten that series. I will side with the officials in that one. That one I had to watch like 20 times to see that. It I knew it immediately. Honest to you God. Did. I did. I was, I did. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, with the Cavaliers on the road, you are – right behind that basket that corner and it was that corner and it's a really bad place to watch a game honestly but it was right in front of me and I could see the ball hit off the backboard I was like that's a goaltend and they didn't call it and that was that yeah so one team had LeBron another team did not all right as we wrap up here we we both gave our predictions here I'm just. I think the biggest storyline in all this, at least in terms of the Pacers, is how do they show up from the from the jump? Right. If they can get game one, that flip home court, and I think give them some confidence after. In fairness, it was kind of shaken over these last month oh, or two. No doubt. There's no doubt. Well, here's the thing too: is that you know Boston's a big, big, big media market. It is a tough media market. If the Pacers can get that first game. It's going to get ugly in Boston and fast. And you wonder how Kyrie is going to react to all that. Uh, the young players, you know, they'll, they'll go there. They'll do what they do. But can Kyrie lead them back, um, you know, when everybody's starting to question what's wrong with the Celtics? And so, like I say, I think it's a Celtics series to lose. Um, but they are perfectly capable of it. I mean, they have not had nearly the kind of season they thought they would. I think most people thought they would win high 50s at the very least, maybe even 60 games. Be the top seed in the Eastern top Conference. Top seed in the Eastern Conference. Oh, yeah, me too. I mean, when you think about what they did without Gordon Hayward last year and then losing Kyrie, I believe it was before the playoffs, um, to get to the Eastern Conference Finals was pretty extraordinary. And I'm interested too, Scott, to see the chess match between – uh, the prodigy, Brad right. Stevens, and the old pro um, in, in Nate McMillan. And we, we touched on this before, and I failed to address it. But I think this is a chance for Nate McMillan to really establish himself on a national scale as a really, really good coach. I think everybody knows he's a good coach. But if he can go in there and upset the Boston Celtics, a team clearly that has much more firepower and – outmaneuver uh, Brad Stevens, 
that would be an, uh, just an incredible feather in his, in his cap. I almost believe that coaching may be at its best in the NBA right now. And point blank, we're recording this Friday afternoon after Pacers practice. I have about eight hours to submit my ballot for Coach of the Year and all those other awards. Mm-hmm. I'm still torn. Budenholzer could be that guy. He, he led the Bucks along with Giannis. Yeah. To top seed in the East. So who, are, who are your who are your options? I'll any, help you. Any coach. Well, but Bo- no, I'm saying Budenholzer but, but or Mike Malone in Mike Denver. Mike Malone in Denver. Uh, Doc Rivers in the Clippers. Budenholzer. Yeah, I'm I, helping you. Yeah, hey, Budenholzer. That gotta was, be Budenholzer. Nate wouldn't vote for himself if he had a vote. He was saying, I asked him. I was curious. Yeah, what's your yeah. case and what? How do you feel? He goes, It's hard to go against Mike and what he's been able to do yeah. this year. Yeah, like in an Eastern Conference that's at the top has been really strong. Who's your MVP? Giannis. I agree with you. It's because be as extraordinary as Harden has been offensively, he is an improved but still not great defensive player. And you look at the numbers, um, which I try not to do, but you look at the numbers with Giannis, both offensively and defensively, and, and they are off the charts. The other one, last thing here is I haven't made my mind up on defensive player of the year. You yeah. can, there's basically four realistic op. Gobert. Uh, Gobert. Yeah. Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. Giannis. I can't yeah. see. I don't think. I know Miles isn't going to. No, he's not going be the to. Winner don't be a homer, guy. Scott. Don't vote no, no, for no, him. No, no, no. But I'm considering yeah, you should what consider. he's been able to do to yeah. lead the league in blocks and have the highest uh, average in three years is certainly worthwhile to consider. Yeah. I uh, I think Giannis. Giannis. But I yeah. haven't settled on a decision. It's, these are so tough to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And rookie of the year, Luca. Thank you very much. Good night, everybody. Yeah. 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 That's That's got to be a no-brainer, right? Luka yeah. Doncic. Sixth man will include Demonis Sabonis. It's just, is he the winner or is he a top three guy? Well, Lou Williams is up for that, right? Yeah, he's yeah. probably going to get yeah, the They should just win. name the damn award after him. <laughs> right, right. All right, well, that'll wrap up uh, as we record here ahead of game one. We're at St. Vincent Center at the Pacers practice facility. Um, Pacers, Celtics round one, uh, game one, Sunday on Master Sunday, unfortunately. Well, you'll be all right. Just, you know, they have these things now called DVRs. They do, but you can't engage on Twitter and follow with everybody else live. That's the disappointment. First world problems. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Check out both of our work at The Athletic, theathletic.com. Subscribe. And uh, we'll do plenty more of these as the playoffs continue. 